This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Keep up with the latest breaking news in Austin and around the world. Take a moment to make sure you're following us on Twitter at Talk 1370. Let the tweeting begin. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. The right choice. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so we have two different narratives going around the country uh, as it pertains to firearms. Some people feel that we need more freedom, more rights, because it's, it's a right given to us by God. And then others feel that we have too many guns and and we're and are asking people to maybe put the guns down a bit. So we're going to we're going to talk about that today and also current events. But I, I want you to listen to a state senator out of Arkansas, Senator Stephanie Flowers. And 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 they were actually on the Arkansas floor, the Senate floor, debating a bill. Uh, to uh, to allow more guns in the state of Arkansas. And S- Senator Flowers didn't really like the bill, but just listen to what she had to say and really wait until you get down to the end and listen how she closed. Thank you. I'm going to try to keep myself calm, okay? Now, I respect Senator Garner, but... Number one, I just want to say, and I just want to speak my piece, and people have to learn to agree to disagree. And I just want to explain to you where I come from, okay? I've had brothers that went to war, had an uncle that served in the Korean War. My brother went to Vietnam twice, and he's no longer here. He died when I was in the 2013 session down in our damn nursing home for veterans in Houston. Now, I had a sister that was killed with a gun out of college. I was only 15, turning 16 that damn year. And where I'm from, the God I serve does not tell me that I have a fundamental right to carry a gun. And let me tell you about my brother Thurman that served in the Air Force in Vietnam. And by the way, I know Afghani 
veterans. And they don't all support this bill and these other bills that we've been passing here, talking about carrying guns in bars where people are drinking. They don't believe that. They are peaceable people, loving people. And the God I serve is a God of love. Just like you said up in here the other day, talking about putting a damn motto that anybody pays for on the, in God we trust. Well, a sign don't mean a doggone thing to me. It's what's in your heart. And let me tell you about my sister, Frances. She was just 19 years old. Your daughter never has to experience that. But when you go through things like that, and when you sit up and you see what's happening all over this nation, little children in schools being gunned down, teachers being gunned down, people in a church praying, having a Bible meeting, being say, well, that wasn't somebody with a concealed carry, but hell, I'm hearing y'all talking about everybody take a damn gun around. I think you're going to agree, we are all going to die. There is something that I believe after this life on earth. Maybe you don't believe that, but the God I serve assures me of that. So whether you got a gun, whether you're going to pull it out and shoot me right now, I don't give a damn. You can do what the hell you want. But let me tell you something. My brother was never the same when he came from Vietnam the first damn time. And the second time he came from there, he came before his tour ended to come to his sister's funeral. So don't tell me about no damn everybody gotta have a gun. Go to hell with your guns. I'm voting for the damn bill. I don't want to. All right, so that's a state senator from Arkansas, uh, Stephanie uh, Flowers. And in the end, she ended up voting for the bill. So I don't know what all of that was for before that. But let me bring into the conversation uh, Brother Robert L. Muhammad from the Nation of Islam, uh, because this past weekend, well, just yesterday, there was an event that was actually held in Austin. And it was an event to, you know, ask the community to, you know, possibly put down the guns and let's start some conflict resolution and things like that. So let me bring into the conversation Robert Muhammad. Uh, Brother Muhammad, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's an honor to be present today and um, hopefully that we can have a great conversation. Uh, and it's, it's just an honor to be here. I've never been to your station. I, I know we've had conversations about coming before, so I'm just excited to be in here. Absolutely. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how did you, uh, when did you start with the, the Nation of Islam? Um, I'm an Austin native. I was born and raised here in the city of Austin, and I began to hear the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, from the leadership of Minister Louis Farrakhan when I was about 17 years old. 
and I embraced uh, the message wholeheartedly um, in 1990. And I became a member of the Nation of Islam actively in 1993. And um, it was after a visit that Minister Farrakhan made to the University of Texas uh, uh, Bass Concert Hall was where I first heard him in the public. And I was at a point in my life where I needed um, some guidance. um, And that guidance came at the voice of Minister Farrakhan. And I've been on an evolutionary process ever since. Now, see, I'm an ordained minister and... And 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 you say you, you were you were brought up in the Baptist Church. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Now, man. So why did you have to leave the Baptist Church? Well, <laughs> well, you know, um, I, the, the 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 church is not a building. The church is a community of individuals, and so my leaving a building, and I absolutely thought that I was leaving the uh, theological uh, construct of the Baptist faith. Um, but I find myself uh, now in my matriculation in life and my maturation as a, as a young man, as, a, as an older young man, that I find myself uh, much more in agreement with the basic tenets of uh, most of the monotheistic faiths. And so I've grown a lot since the age of 17, and um, it's, it's, it's helped me and my family tremendously. And so, but at that time period, I was looking for answers to certain questions, and those answers that I was looking for, um, I wasn't getting those types of answer, answers in the church where I was at. I was a young man. Uh, I was wayward. I had a crossroad in my life where in the community where I grew up in um, during the late 80s, you know, we had a couple of paths. Of course, uh, being an athlete and hoping that you would make it uh, to the professional league, NFL or NBA And what was being offered at that time, many and most of my friends, I think with the exception of my biological brother, we all were involved in in, uh, the distribution of drugs and the sale of drugs. And during that time period, uh, we were reeling from the effects of the introduction of crack cocaine in the black community. And um, also at that time period, being a junior and a senior in high school, seeing certain things happen in the society that just didn't sit right with me as a young black male. And so I found that the message of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan helped me to make sense of some of the things that were going on in my life, in my mind, and in society. Okay, and then this weekend, you guys had, um, there was a really nice event that was yesterday, and it was uh, it was pretty well attended, and it was an event to stop the violence. And I'm trying to understand, you know, how did that event come about? The event came about... Um, here in the city of Austin, there has been an increase um, here as a recent of uh, the homicides, um, particularly in the black community, um, dealing with uh, young men that are in their late teens and their early to mid-20s. And it, it, if, we, if we continue on this cycle, the, the rise in homicides look like it will be unprecedented in this growing uh, metropolis, this growing city. And so... A young man was um, shot in the back of his back of the head, and one of his family members reached out. To, actually, um, the organizer reached out to me. She had already put the event together, and she said, "Well, brother Robert, can you assist me, and and can you participate in this event?" And I said, "Absolutely," because we've already had for a year and a half a conflict resolution program here in the in the, in the Central Texas area, where we've actually helped uh, several, or I would say, a few young men and women. Uh, mediate some conflicts that we have actually 
um, saved some lives. Um, we mediated one conflict where a young man chased another young man down the street with an AK-47 and uh, had every intentions on murdering the young man. But the only reason he didn't pull the trigger is because he never got a clear shot. And he understood what that weapon would do in the urban area uh, had he discharged it and it had gone through uh, somebody's wall or something like that. And so we were able to bring those two young men to a table and we sat down and we went through the steps of mediation. And um, we were blessed to have uh, uh, that as an opportunity to help uh, some young men mediate uh, a situation that could have been, it was life-threatening, but it could have ended in somebody's death. So we would have one physical death and we would have an incarceration uh, that would probably, more than likely, uh, as it, it would be, the, the result would probably be the same in, 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 as far as removing a family member or in, and a community member from uh, society. So instead of calling the police and, and bringing in law enforcement, you were able to get together with you know these two young men and, and, and sell it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And then so tell me more about the, um, the actual incident that happened um, that brought this event together that took place yesterday. Well, I, I don't know much about the actual event, the actual uh, homicide itself. Um, I, I do know that I'm connected with some of the family members that um, um, reached out to me. Also, they, they asked me to come and share some words at the funeral. But my concern is that there is an influx of this type of behavior and activity. And as a, as a part of the, the platform of the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, Minister Farrakhan asked uh, the participants to go back home and get involved in conflict resolution because he said that um, – it's hard to to ask the federal government to intercede in the, the senseless slaughter uh, of black men and women, brown men and women, and poor men and women uh, at the hands of corrupt law enforcement if we are engaged in the same type of activity in and among the communities that we dwell in. And so we started a, a conflict resolution program here um, to to in hopes that we could reduce uh, or, or at least... Uh, uh, we, we're not looking necessarily for prevention because we know that you, we can't touch every single individual that has a conflict. But it, but what we're trying to do is, is raise awareness and actually um, help to reduce the, these type of conflicts that end in violence and in, in taking someone's life. All right. We're talking with uh, Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. We're talking about some people feel that it's a God given right uh, to own the gun. And some people feel that maybe we should put the guns down. This is Michael Cargill. And you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're back in the studio. We're talking with uh, Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. And we're talking about guns today. We're talking about the community. And some people feel that it's a God-given right 
to own a gun. And some people feel that, you know what, what maybe we should tone it down a little bit and put the guns down. So let me uh, throw the, the mic over here to my co-host. She had a question during the break, and I'll let, let her ask it on the air. I, I was just wondering if, the, if Farrakhan... Um, has the same espouses the same views as Reverend Jeremiah Wright, just in re- regard to um, race, religion, various things like that. Because Reverend Jeremiah Wright seems very, very polarizing, and not very friendly. I've watched both of them on TV many times. You watched Reverend Jeremiah Wright and Minister Farrakhan. Yes. And and you're asking me if they have the same views, but you've heard both of them. Well. I- I'm asking you as someone who's very familiar. Well, I, I'm so not. I, I, I know maybe who, the source that I saw was right. biased. That's well, what I know who you. Reverend Jeremiah Wright is. Uh-huh. Um, I know that he is the former pastor of uh, the former president of the United States, uh, Reverend, uh, or not Reverend, but uh, Barack Obama, and that Oprah Winfrey uh, was once an attendee and a member of the church that they attended. As far as his views on race and, and, and even religion, I can't speak for those views. But if he espouses to self-sufficiency, if he espouses to uh, black people standing up and doing for themselves, if he, if he espouses to things like that, then I would say that, that yes, they're, they're, they are, they, then they do share those views. I'm not, I'm not sure which views in particular you are referring to. But but being proud, being a black man in America and being proud of that and believing that you have the God given right to grow to the fullest potential that you were created to be and that that shouldn't be hindered by any man, woman or circumstance. Absolutely. Um, If he if if he espouses those types of views, then I would say, yes, those views are in accordance with what the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the entire nation of Islam and black people and any people in general who believe that they are someone and that they should be treated fairly uh, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of class, creed, uh, and those types of things. And so, you know, if he espouses to those views, then absolutely I would say those views are congruent. Okay. Um, but don't you think instead of... These are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of always using the word black, shouldn't we all just be treated equally do, do you find, there, I feel like there's so much talk about color, 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 or race, 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 or this, and we all should be treated fairly. And and I agree, but it's easier for you to say that as uh, one who is not black than a black person to say that because you know if I'm doing a study on cancer, and I'm saying and I'm my particular study is does red meat cause cancer? So sure, um, other things that you that you eat and that you ingest may cause cancer, but my study may be based on red meat. So you don't expect for the studies of this young man and the study of this young man to be involved in my study. So as a black man who is seeking self-sufficiency, who, who wants to, who wants freedom, justice, and equality, I must begin at home. So yes, and, and this is my statement always to any event that I go to, that if we can secure freedom, justice, and equality for black men and women, then we can be successful at securing freedom, justice, and equality for everyone. But if we can't secure freedom and justice, equality for black men and women, then that's a sign that um, you can't secure it for everyone. And so, um, but absolutely, yes, everybody should be treated fairly. But as a black man, I have to start at home. 
Sure. And so when you look at Jesus and his ministry, he told his disciples to first stay confined. And then at a certain point, he told them to take that message out out into the pub. So we have to start when I get up in the morning or if I have an incident in my home, I didn't invite my neighbors in initially. I rec- try to rectify that problem in the inside of my home. And then when I'm ready to go out to the world and be presented to society, then I go out, you know, so, um, you know, the interesting thing to me is that people get offended when, when, when we use the term black or we use the term uh, uh, white or whatever it may be, but that is just an, uh, uh, a label identifying a certain segment of the population. And so if we're talking about justice for all, then there shouldn't be a problem if we say we need justice for black people, we need justice for white people, we need justice for immigrants, we need justice for everyone. That shouldn't be an issue at all with anyone, I don't think. No, and I think these are all things that we should all strive for. But um, what I noticed you said at the beginning, I wouldn't know what a black man goes through. You're right. But you wouldn't know what a white female goes through. You're absolutely right. right. And so um, we all suffer from any from from being absolutely disrespectful right. inequalities in the world. And that is where self-sufficiency comes in. Um, as a young girl, I grew up in North Carolina. My dad from Italy. I had people that wouldn't let me play with their, their, their kids because they thought my dad was in the mafia, and he was not. Sometimes I wish he was because it would have been uh, kind of funny, but in a light, in a, in a, not in a serious way. But anyway, um, and then as, a, as an adult woman in the business world, I'm not married. I, I run two companies, okay? Um, I have to deal, especially in the construction world, I have to deal with men talking to me disrespectfully, um, thinking because I'm a female, I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. So we all have to deal with these things. And I think, but that's my point. Right. Self-sufficiency is important. But when we constantly talk about color, race, I don't go around crying that I'm a female and I get treated disrespectfully. I just man up, so to speak, and carry on. Well, I mean, I would, I would, I mean, I would. What my position would be that if you as a female or as a woman are experiencing certain injustices that I don't think anyone sitting in this room had a problem with you bringing up the fact that there's certain things that happen to you because of people's perception uh, or because you are a woman or because of those children's perception of your father. No one, I don't think any idea raised in their head to where they felt a certain kind of way because of that. So 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 if Reverend Jeremiah Wright or anybody else mentions as a black man that I am sitting in this particular position and I'm looking from this view. So let me address what's happening to me. So if we're cutting the slice of if we're cutting a pie up and everybody's going to get a piece and I zero in on my piece and you say, well, everybody gets a piece. Well, that's fine. But I'm concerned about my piece. I, you know, I'm the one being robbed of my piece. So I know this is mine. Let me be concerned about mine. That doesn't mean that I have an issue with you getting yours. But let me be focused on my piece. So so um, the same way you can you can express that there is an issue in society, in business, in community with the way people look at women or the perception of certain families it's, it shouldn't be a problem with anybody uh, who who hears you or any other individual say that it shouldn't be a problem for anybody to say anything about I'm a black man. And I know that this is the reason why I'm receiving certain treatment. And so let's address this. But until we address it, 
until we put it all out on the table, we'll continue to have these issues and these problems will never go away. Okay. All right. So and then we have a there is a question online. Uh, Tom says, does the minister minister have uh, armed security or even armed? Are you armed yourself? That's a great that's a great, great question. It, um, under the leadership of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the establishment of the Fruit of, es- uh, of Islam, the military wing of the Nation of Islam, we were told not to carry as much as a penknife. So that answer is no, we don't carry weapons. Um, the men that you see with Minister Farrakhan, none of them are armed. Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, be- why not? Be- because we rely on our faith. And our belief in, in God. And in the, 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 the past 80 some odd years, none of us have been harmed due to the fact that we don't carry weapons. Cool. All right. Due to the fact? I have a problem with that statement. Okay, what's your problem with it? You said due to the fact. Well, well, I'm saying even though we don't carry weapons, okay. but we have not been harmed, so we have not needed weapons. Gotcha. I, I, let me say it like that. All right, yeah, because when you said due to the fact, I'm like, I don't know if that's the. You, you're absolutely right. So, 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 you know, I, but, but, because we don't have weapons, we never needed to have weapons to defend ourselves. Let me say it like that. Nobody ever needs it until they need it. Well, um, we've been in many different situations, and we haven't needed them, and so, uh, but that's a part of 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 the when you look at the the the. Uh, the situation uh, in the event that uh, Michael was talking about is that, that, and I'll share this with you on a personal level. I'm in a vehicle in 1992 with classmates from high school, right? I get into an incident in a situation with someone, uh, an argument in Houston, Texas, in a, in a place where, you know, it's just the four of us in a vehicle. It's about 20 guys at a, at a nightclub. And we decide, you know, instead of instead of staying and continuing to engage in this argument, we decide to leave. Well, fast forward some five minutes later, we're at a stoplight. Gentleman pulls up in a vehicle and unloads a weapon into the car. I'm sitting in the back seat, uh, driver's side, and and my friend and 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 really uh, like a surrogate brother is hit eight times. He dies. The driver's hit two times. They thought he was going to die, and the passenger had a ricochet lodged under the scalp uh, of his head. And I was the only person not hit in that vehicle. Now, when we got back home, because of the way I grew up, you know, many of our friends said, well, you know, how come you guys didn't take a weapon? How come you didn't take your piece? How come you didn't take this and that? And I thought back through the scenario over and over and over again, and I came to the conclusion that whether I had a weapon in the vehicle or not, would I have had a chance to respond with a weapon either in the trunk, under the seat, in the glove box? And so my, my brother and my friend's life was not spared, but mine's was. And so I've been walking a certain kind of walk due to the incident since that time period. It happened in 1992. And so... For me personally, and I have walked into situations that were volatile with many people having weapons, but I, w- I have been able to use my mind and then use my mouth and to make situations that seem volatile not so volatile. And so um, and then I would say this, that as a black man in America, you know, um, regardless of what the law says, 
You know, there, there was a law at one point that said that I could be owned by you or anybody sitting in this room that had enough money. Um, so, so the law says certain things, but if you have a rash of, of young black men being killed because certain people in law enforcement fear for their lives and they have no weapons at all, what happens when those young black men have weapons, whether they have them legally or illegally? You know, so I agree with you it, 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 to a very small extent, but, you know, sitting here in the seat as a black man, and I know Michael has a different view on that, but my experiences uh, tell me that we can't handle, we can't walk the same path that everybody in America walks because there is a mindset that has to be fixed. And until that mindset is fixed, we have to navigate this society a certain kind of way and, and, and ensure that we, we are successful in doing it. So there are certain things that you can do in society that I can't do. There are certain things that you can do in society that, um, uh, that you can, that, that you can re- be corrected from, that uh, will be a teaching moment, that if I did some of the things that I have in mind, that it may be the end of my life. And so... We keep that in mind when we are navigating through, uh, you know, society, you know, particularly in America. And so, um, you know, and, I, and I could, I'll be the first person to tell you I don't have those type of talks with my with my I have four children and three of them are sons. But I hear people all over saying that, you know, it's a shame we have to have these talks when you get pulled over and tell, the, 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 you know, our young men what to do. I don't have those kind of talks with my, my children. I teach them to respect every human being on the planet. And so when somebody in law enforcement, enforcement pulls you over, you don't start acting other than what you've always been acting like, you know. And so um, but I would just offer that, you know, I, I will talk forever, Michael, but, no, you know, but I will offer that uh, because there are just certain things in society that, you know, uh, there are certain things in society that will put us in harm's way. And so that's the position of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I, th- I certainly think it's a good talent to be able to, to, to recognize a situation and kind of talk your way out of it and, and kind of diffuse the situation. But I'm not convinced that you can diffuse everyone. Well, absolutely. All right. We're talking with uh, the Nation of Islam, Brother Muhammad. We're talking about is carrying a gun a God-given right? Some people feel that it is. Some people feel that it's not. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Get breaking news, exclusive contests, and more delivered right to your inbox. I like knowing things. Join the Right Choice Club at Talk1370.com, and you'll be in the know. Just go to Talk1370.com and click on the Right Choice Club from Talk 1370. The Right Choice. This is a man's world. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back talking with uh, Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. And we're talking about God-given right. Is it your God-given right to own and carry a gun? And some people feel that it is. Some people feel that it's not. And and let me give you the phone number to call in. Our phone number is 512-643-LIVE. That's 512-643-5483. Come and talk it. So let me ask... Um, uh, brother, uh, well, actually, yeah, you had a question on the break. I want to ask you a question that you had during the break there. Okay, we were talking about conflict resolution and 
Um, I had mentioned, you know, if two males have a problem, you, you know, usually they can defend themselves. But what if there's a female and a male and she's afraid for her safety? We, you know, and and that was a great question. And, you know, and, and, and my answer is that I don't expect for my children, although it happens, to have to defend themselves against an adult. And I don't expect for my mother or my wife to have to defend themselves against male members of this society. In fact, we just had an event on yesterday in an apartment complex in Northeast Austin called Defending the Hood. And it was geared towards women and children. And we had self-defense courses, um, including how to defend yourself against weapons like uh, 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 handguns and whatnot. And so um, our, our women and our children are taught to defend themselves and fight with those that fight with themselves. And if need be, in the case of defending themselves and with someone who has a weapon, they're taught how to disarm that individual and use their weapon to do the same thing that the assailant came to do to them. Now, what do you do in a situation where, you know, someone's breaking into your home? Uh, what do you suggest people do in, in, in that situation? I suggest people um, um, use common sense and decide how they would defend themselves and use that defense um, to to defend themselves, their home and their family when people are breaking into their homes. Um, members of the Nation of Islam, we are known for patrolling communities and uh, being very watchful at night, uh, particularly during our meeting times, but when we're at home. And so um, there are many different instances where in my 27 years as a member of the Nation of Islam, where um, many different brothers and or sisters have been able to defend themselves without a firearm uh, when people have um, evaded or, or, or have broken into their homes. And so um, I think that it's a case-by-case scenario, and I think that people should do what they're comfortable with doing um, and that they should do that, that they should use not Brother Robert's words to decide what they're going to do in their home, but they should use... Um, was comfortable for them. Now, when did this shift change from, you know, not carrying firearms or not owning firearms? Because I, I, I remember um, uh, there were several ministers with the Nation of Islam that actually, you know, had guns, showed they had guns and believed that, you know, they should respond, you know, with the same amount of force that, you know, that a person responded to them. There are no members of the Nation of Islam, minister or not, that have carried fire weapons uh, or firearms, I should say. Um, you may see a picture of Malcolm X uh, holding a weapon, looking out the window, but that was after he left the Nation of Islam. You may have heard uh, Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad mentioned that during the early years of rebuilding the Nation of Islam, when Minister Farrakhan had no security, had no FOI security, that he hid a gun inside of a Bible uh, because that's the way he felt that he would be able to defend Minister Farrakhan. But no members uh, who follow Minister Farrakhan uh, are allowed to carry weapons. Okay. All right. All right. So, and then, let me see here. There's a question online. And so, could you physically defend yourself? Uh, and if so, at what point would be the line, would the line be crossed? So, if... So could you physically defend yourself? If so, at what point would the line be crossed? Um, I, I mean, I, the question, the answer to that question is yes, I can physically f- defend myself. And all of the members of the, the, the FOI 
and the MGT, that's the men and the women of the Nation of Islam, are trained in self-defense techniques and, and how to fight someone. But the, the line is crossed is when we are aggressed upon. Uh, there are rules in, of engagement in the Holy Quran, and there are rules of engagement in the Bible. And the Co- Holy Quran tells us to fight with those that fight with us. And so if I am aggressed upon, I am allowed to respond with the same type of aggression. And so, you know, you cross the line when you enter into my physical space aggressing me in a threatening way. I am given the God-given right to defend myself. Now, that's subject to interpretation, but we'll deal with that after the fallout of the incident. So you do agree that it is a God-given right? To defend myself? Absolutely. And possibly carry a gun if he wanted to. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think everybody has the choice and the right to do what they feel is, is, is correct to defend themselves. What do you do in the situation where a person is dead set on killing you? Well, this, 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 is, this is how we put it. That we're born into this world, and one thing that's guaranteed to happen is that we're going to die one day. Mm. And I can tell you this, um, as we are taught, in, 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 and I was taught in church growing up, is that when your number is pulled, you can't stay one second, Right. So if, it's the, if this is the day that the Lord has decided that I'm going to meet my demise, then I may as well go out fighting with those that fight with me. So you can pull a weapon on me, but guess what? If you have intentions on killing me and it is meant by the Lord of the worlds that that be my last day on earth, I can't do anything about it anyway. But if it's meant for me to defend myself and I get the weapon that you came with, then then maybe it may be meant for that individual and for it to be his or her last day on the planet. So make no mistake about it, because we don't carry weapons, that doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves. So you're saying basically when your time is up, your time is up. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to stay as long as I possibly can, because I think the longer I stay, I think it's, it, uh, it drives a lot of people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try to stay as long as I can. We all want to stay as long <laughs> as we can. Kicking and screaming and, and defending myself any way I, I see fit. Right. As long as possible. Yes, so sir. can you please, I am actually curious, tell me the difference between the Nation of Islam and uh, how you maintain to be peaceful when millions of Muslims are very violent and have been doing jihad and, and whatnot, and they do all this in the name of the Quran and, and whatnot. So how do you differ, I guess, from, well, from the, them, the, the, and, and why are they taking all the violent acts and you seem extremely the, peaceful? The, the difference is you classified them as Muslims. <laughs> they are not Muslims. They use the prophet's name to shield dirty practice for whether it be for political gains or whatnot, but they are not Muslims. No, no, there are no more Muslims than the Ku Klux Klan were Christians when they were lynching black folks in the South. So, okay. so what we are using is a manufactured label that people have taken cultural expression and not the mandates of the prophet, peace be upon him, to navigate through this world and navigate through society. And so one of the things that is a pet peeve of mine and the people that use these terms and these labels, they know and understand the uh, tenets of our faith and, and, and they are not using the proper labels. These individuals are absolutely terrorists and they are not Muslims. Okay. So what about 
the non-terrorist countries, like let's just go with Saudi Arabia, uh-huh. you know, where they like to to kill gays, and that's literally their government. That's not that that is their government. That's not some crazy you know extremist. That's them. That's twelve other Islamic countries that do that. Yeah. So I mean, where's kind of your stance on homosexuality, and how how do you see homosexuality? Besides throwing them off of a building or, you know, what, stoning them to death or whatever. Well, we don't agree with homosexuality. We don't agree with the behavior. Yes. And that, that behavior, as, as far as what we are taught through the Holy Quran and through the leadership of Minister Farrakhan, is akin to any other deviation from the law of God. And so um, just as if... One of you in here uh, violated me in words or in behavior. My responsibility and my response to that is not to hate you, but the behavior that you, uh, uh, the behavior that you're putting out is what I dislike. And so these countries, you know, make no mistake about it, you know, that Islam has been given an unfair uh, uh, origin or, or an unfair, the, the, the understanding of Islam, and we have relegated Islam to a geographical landmass. And because the government, you mentioned the government of 12 countries, well, these, the, the government, these individuals, they, they are not necessarily the authors of the faith. Mm-hmm. And they are not necessarily following Prophet Muhammad. In fact, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said three generations after me will no longer be of me. So um, whether they are Muslims or not is subject to interpretation by Almighty God Allah. And so I, I would I would be not be quick to call these individuals Muslims because uh, Muslims behavior is outlined uh, in the book of faith. And so, you know, throwing people off of uh, buildings and, 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 and you know, uh, strapping uh, retarded people with bombs and sending them in to blow up innocent people, that, that, that's not a part of the Islamic faith. So what about jihad? What about I mean, it? Why are there so many, you know, I don't know, followers of Islam, I guess, or I don't know what you, you know, if they're not Muslims, then I don't know what to call them. The, why are there so many people doing jihad? I mean, just, uh, what, yesterday in Sweden, a guy ran his truck into a... a so I'm just trying to understand, like, why is there... So I mean, there's not like Christians going and running their cars through people. You know, there's not Buddhists going and blowing themselves are up. Are you sure? Well, I mean, there there are, but not to the degree. Absolutely. That, now, that, that, and now, granted, there are more Muslims worldwide. Well, well I'll say this. So that, I'm just trying to understand why do you want right. to? Why are they waging jihad? Why can't we all just get along and and For, you know? First of all, jihad cool, means cool. internal struggle, internal battle. Um, second of all, you have to go to these people's country of origin. Mm-hmm. And we have to take a critical eye to American foreign policy and what the United States government is doing under the cover of armed forces to these geographical land masses and what the fallout is oh, for the individuals. Agree. And so it's not Islam that's making these people do these things. It is what's being represented and betrayed on behalf of the American people that we know nothing about that so that's then, happening in these countries. Why, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful or anything. I'm just trying to understand. Then why are they shouting Allahu Akbar whenever they go and, and blow themselves up Be, or whatnot? The so. same reason when black men were being lynched in the South and crosses were burning, they said Jesus saves at the top of it because... 
the prophet's message is being misused and is being missed. After every prophet left mm -hmm. the population and after every prophet died, people used their words to 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 um, get across the agenda that they wanted. And so Islam is being used the same way Christianity was used, uh, the same way Buddhism was used, the same way any school of thought is being used for corrupt individuals to get across and to get across their agenda. So then how do you counter that behavior? How, what, what is the nation of Islam or what are you personally, either way, what are y'all doing to help stop the Muslims from saying, Hey man, let's just all get along. You know, what, what are y'all doing? We're doing two things. Mm -hmm. We're teaching the crux and the pure word of Islam, but we're also warning the government of the United States of America that you all are bringing this on the American public by some of the things that you are doing in these foreign countries and well, that you're not so. being honest about. And so, Minister Farrakhan, it was, it was a lie put out in the media that Minister Farrakhan was praising Donald Trump during the election cycle because he said, I agree with Donald Trump. But he said, I agree that there has to be extreme vetting because of what is happening in these countries and you are producing terrorists or you're producing people that are, are, are becoming vulnerable to somebody utilizing a, a, a word that is pure to get their own agenda across. And so when there is uh, uh, oppression uh, and people are seeking relief from oppression, they are open to anything that will help to relieve them from oppression. Okay. What about the treatment of women in yes. your religion? What about it? I, I, I've read as much as I can read, and um, I can't find anything positive. Well, you need to um, read some information from the Nation of Islam. We have a motto that says a nation can rise no higher than its woman. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches that this, after God created himself, his second act of creation was he created the woman. And so, yes, you may hear that certain things happen in certain countries uh, around the planet. But again, I'll say to your statement what I said to him, that the prophet said three generations after me will no longer be of me. If the woman is the first nurse, the first teacher, the first representative of God, and she's not educated, then what kind of society are you going to produce a generation later if that woman is not educated? If the woman is not allowed to ascend to her highest degree of development in a society, then what are you going to have in the society 20 years from now? All so right. our women are free. All right, so we're talking with uh, Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. We're talking about is carrying a gun a God-given right, and we're talking about some other things in there. Uh, we come back from the break. We're gonna, we got to find out from Brother um, Muhammad. Well, now, earlier he said one thing. Now I'm hearing something a little different right now. But So we're going to break that down. This is Michael Cargill. are listening to Come and Talking. Get the latest business news from CNBC. Weekday mornings at 6.30 and 8.30 and weekday afternoons at 12.30, 4.30 and 5.30. We make you smarter. Hopefully it'll also make you some money. Stay connected with Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, 
A right to carry a gun. Lawmakers and private citizens will naturally contend on what is and what isn't a right for an individual, as well as where those rights come from. An Arkansas senator stood up and expressed her belief only a few days ago that despite her colleague's view, she did not believe God gave her a right to carry a gun. I had a sister that was killed with a gun out of college. I was only 15, turning 16 that damn year. And where I'm from, the God I serve does not tell me that I have a fundamental right to carry a gun. Her speech was rooted in the opposition of the bill, passed by the governor, House Bill 1249, which expanded the areas where firearms could be carried, was signed by Governor Hutchison last month. The senator continued to give her speech, detailing that she had known personal Iraqi veterans who were opposed to the bill. They don't believe that. They are peaceable people, loving people. And the God I serve is a God of love. Just like you sat up in here the other day talking about putting a damn motto that anybody pays for on the in God we trust. Well, a sign don't mean a doggone thing to me. Senator Flowers ended her speech by begrudgingly voting in favor of the bill. Standing your ground in Florida. The stand your ground law has been a staple of contention and controversy since its inception. And now it looks like it's getting an update. In the past, the so-called burden of proof fell onto the individual under protection from the stand-your-ground law, meaning the man or woman would be forced to prove their innocence in a self-defense case when using it as a defense against criminal prosecution. Florida Senate Bill 128, which passed in the Florida Senate with heavy Republican input, would put the burden of proof on the prosecution. Senator Rob Bradley, who supports the bill, stated that, quote, a defendant always has the presumption of innocence and the state always has the burden of proof, end quote. While it has been law in Florida since 2005 that an individual will be immune from arrest, detainment, charging, and prosecution unless an investigation by the state reveals there was probable cause otherwise, the state's Supreme Court authorized a decision that held individuals to a special pretrial standard where they must prove innocence. This bill would put a stop to that and reinstate innocence until proven guilty. No fresh air, no sunlight. Earlier this week, a congressional hearing was called to review the troubling operations of the confidential informant programs at the DEA and the ATF. At the opening of the hearing... Chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Jason Chavez, gave a brief overview of just some of the acts committed by the agencies that were cause for serious concern. Some of those included paying large sums of bribe money to individuals who yield little to no information, the discovery of a sexual relationship between an informant and an agent while the informant was being paid, Gross overuse of the informant classification for criminals who had more than proven their unreliability, including one informant who had been put in jail in 43 states. Yes, that's 43. We only have 50 
one to which seven he missed. Representative from the DEA, Robert Patterson, was asked for the newly formed guidelines for these informants after an investigation last year found them to be mm, less than ideal. Mr. Patterson, when did you give me the answer to that question? I have not, sir. My understanding and, is... And you testified under oath. You promised me in November, as soon as you get back to your office, and we're in April, and I still don't have it, and I still don't have an excuse either. So why are you not giving this to us? Sir, my understanding is that the committee staff was, was contacted yesterday by the department. Yesterday, right before a hearing. What a coincidence. Sir, if I may say this, so I, I will take full responsibility that I know the Attorney General was sworn in in February, and from February until March 11th, I did not go back to ask this question. On March 11th, I had the opportunity to watch uh, a other hearing which prompted me to ask two questions to the department. One was why Mr. Horwitz hadn't received our policy on mitigation for threats. And the second was to go back and say that we still have a lingering thing to address the issue of the policy and the request of yourself. Okay, so let me get this straight. The inspector general and his staff can see the confidential informant policy, but you refuse to give it to Congress. What, what is it that you think that Congress doesn't have the right to see. The chairman continued to press for this document until he was forced to go right next door and serve a subpoena to Mr. Patterson's supervisor, who was testifying right next door. There's much more to watch from the hearing. Representative Lynch stated a good summary of the situation. Quote, I'm not surprised we see these horror shows. I'm not surprised we see the abuse and theft. I'm not surprised because it's all a secret. There's no fresh air. There's no sunlight. End quote. Shoplifter dead. Citizen charged. At an Orange County Walmart, a stupid decision made by a young man and his friends turned into a deadly confrontation. Arthur Adams, a 19-year-old gangbanger and a few accomplices were trying to make their getaway from a local Walmart after stealing a couple boxes of diapers. When they began loading the merchandise into a stolen vehicle, one employee approached and confronted the thieves. As the exchange began to get heated, a civilian stepped in to help. One of the suspects reached for something, uh, thought that a customer in the parking lot witnessed an argument. A customer in the parking lot witnessed an argument and tried to help. Today, the Orange County Sheriff's Office says that man quickly felt threatened. One of the suspects reached for something, uh, thought that it was a weapon or a firearm. The armed customer fired first. Pop, 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 pop. Six, seven, eight. Striking at least one of the suspected thieves. Aiming to escape, they hopped in the getaway car, but didn't get far. As the criminals tried to escape, they crashed into another vehicle and fled the scene on foot. The wounded suspect was taken to a nearby hospital, but died of his injuries. The civilian who shot him is now being charged with manslaughter and aggravated battery with a firearm, along with carrying a concealed firearm. And that is your Global Gun News Report for this week of April 2017. Texas weather can change on a dime. Flash flooding is expected to begin shortly. When the weather turns severe, turn to us for what you need to know. On air and online at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. You 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. We're talking about is carrying a gun a God-given right. All right, so um, Brother Muhammad, now I I know earlier you were saying in the show that um, that some people are not considered, you didn't consider them Muslim because of their actions, right? Sure. All right, well... Uh, whether or not you consider them Muslims or not, well, they consider themselves Muslims. So, you know, just like we can't, you know, someone that does something in the name of Christianity, even though we may not want to relate ourselves uh, or relate to them as being Christians, you know, but hey, if they do it in the name of God, they did it in the name of God, and we have to condemn that. So why would we not condemn, you know, even though you may not consider, you know, them being Muslim, but they consider themselves as being Muslim and they're doing it in the name of Allah, that has to be condemned. And I think that there's there's got to be some work that has to be done within the Muslim community uh, to, you know, maybe combat that stuff. Well, maybe if you understand the nation of Islam, our work is condemnation of violence in general. And so just because someone I could have a young man come up to me right now and say, hey, I'm your son. But you, but, but you, but, but you can't, and, and, you can't talk, you can't talk about conflict resolution and say, you know what, we're going to have conflict resolution, but then turn around and say on the other side that it, because of the things that the United States are doing, because of what the U.S. is doing, we're bringing this upon ourselves. Now, let me say this: in conflict re- resolution, the steps to to mediating a conflict is for both sides and both parties to put the, their their position, their particular position on the table, right? And then each side has to come to an admittal that they have wronged the other individual. But if there's never an admittal and a willingness to pull back and never return to that type of behavior. Yes. And it's pointed out. Okay, now, sir, had you not done this to this young man, would you agree that he wouldn't have responded like this? Whether his response is right or wrong, there are ways to prevent certain things from happening. So I'm talking about cause and effect. I'm not talking about necessarily what what people have a right to do. Well, in, now, in now, true in you, true conflict resolution, you know, uh-huh. a, a person may not want to give up their side. They may say, you know what, uh, you know, I'm standing with my conviction. I'm right, yeah. you're wrong, and then it takes that other person right. to say, you know what, okay, fine. But how? All right, well, but then I admit that I'm wrong. But when the conflict is involved in violence. So I'm, I'm going to keep my side. I'm going to keep killing you. That's not true conflict resolution, sir. So at what point is the Muslim community going to condemn uh, some of these actions that are taking place? Uh, so you know? maybe maybe I need to send you some links, because okay. if you don't understand that there have been millions of Muslims condemning these acts, then I would say, sir, that you are in a a, a guarded place where you only hear certain things. But there are millions of, and, and they've been on CNN, they've been on Fox, but there are tons of people condemning these acts. And me saying that these individuals are not Muslims are condemning these acts because I'm saying that's not the way of the faith that we believe in. So this idea that nobody's condemning these facts is terribly and grossly skewed. All right, our call in numbers 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-LIVE. Come and talk it. Let me go to line two, line one. Terribly and grossly skewed. All right, I call in numbers 5126435483. Hey, got to turn you got to turn your got to turn your radio down. Live, come and talk it. <laughs> we go to line. Hey, there line. Yeah, you got yeah, you got you got to turn your radio down. Got to listen to the phone. All right, I call in numbers 5126435483. 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 All right, I call in numbers 5126435483.
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. There. Yeah, hang up on that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I don't know what's going on there. All right, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's something. What is y'all's opinion on Sharia law? And I, I see that if I, I – I'm because I'm trying to learn more about Farrakhan, and you certainly from 2012 to present, it seems like he's changed his stance on some things. It seems like in his – yeah, I mean, reading some of these articles and some of the statements he's made, some of them are certainly certainly out there. So what is your perspective on that? Well, I, I would say this, that you would have to put any of the minister's statements in context, you know, to see an excerpt. And this is what the media has done. And, and so that's, that's one reason why we applaud uh, – the, the, the small reason why we applaud Donald Trump for exposing the media because they'd like to take sound bites of a two to three hour lecture and say this was the crux of Minister Farrakhan's. Um, and when you all say, and I say you all, and I'm meaning the 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 the, the mass public that has been uh, informed and educated by controlled media, say Sharia law, the concept that is being used and being pushed is honor killings. The concept that is being used and that's being pushed is if you don't agree with our cultural societal norms where women have to cover everything except their eyes and they have to walk a certain way, they can't work in certain professions, those things are not Sharia law. Those things are cultural concepts that um, people have misguided, have used to misguide the public. And so do you believe in Sharia law? Do I believe in Sharia law? Mm -hmm. No, not in that concept. I believe in the law and the mandates of the Holy Quran. And the law and the mandates of the Holy Quran, the concept of that, the kernel and the Do you believe in using Sharia law? Absolutely. Not for that concept. See, you got to understand, law... See, law is something that's made by man, but I and we are governed by the mandates of the Holy Quran. We don't use cultural laws. See, there is a law that keeps society... um, uh, that keeps society in order. But the Holy Quran says that we should obey the law unless it conflicts with our religion. Right, now, let me, how, and how, let me go to the phone lines real quick. All right, go ahead, line one. You're on with Come and Talking. Hello? Yeah, you're on. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, hey, this is Arnell. And I just wanted to bring something uh, more on a local level because you had talked about... Uh, addressing conflict resolution in in your own community. And with the whole issue of black violence, black on black violence being a a meaningful problem, what else can you do to help educate the community on trying to reduce violence within its own community? Good question. Um, There are a lot of things that can be done. I want to reference this study really quick. there was um, uh, in South Africa um, in the late 90s, there was a park uh, that was being uh, populated with uh, elephants. And they took the, the uh, well, in the 80s, the, the population of elephants overgrew this particular park in uh, called McGruger Park in uh, South Africa. So they decided to cull the population of elephants. So they killed the adult elephants and they took the young uh, male and female elephants, and they transported them to another uh, area called Pellensburg Park. It was on 60 Minutes. And uh, a few years later, as these elephants became teens, they noticed that the, right, the, the white rhinos were being killed and murdered, they thought, by poachers, but their horns were left intact. So upon a, uh, for a closer observation, 
they saw that these uh, adolescent elephants were killing the rhinos and that these adolescent elephants were doing things. They were involved in recreational sex where they used to not be. And when they tested them, they had an influx of testosterone in their uh, in their system. And it was unusual for elephants to have that level of testosterone in their system. I'm trying to get to it really quick. And so uh, when they looked at, when they went back to McGruger Park, the females that were left there with the children were not caring for the, the young elephants anymore, not guiding them. And so they came up with this idea. Let's go back and get the remaining male adult elephants and let's put them with the adolescents. And so what they did was they transported these male elephants, these adult male elephants, and within weeks, there were no more murders of the white rhinos, and, and the, the female elephants began to move around again and, and care for the children again. But there's an absence of men in our community. Now, I'm going to say this, that, that when you look at the 80s and you look at the 90s, because those are the days that I grew up in, in the 80s with the influx of crack cocaine and then came the crime bill, this was a part of a, a broader conspiracy and it deconstructed the family in our communities. And so I'm saying if we can look at nature and we can see the, the, just in nature, in, primi- in the primitive sense, that the absence of males to teach and train younger males with the influx of, of, of testosterone in, in their system to act properly. And, and there's some science in that that says they begin to produce large amounts of testosterone too soon because they didn't have the presence of the male elephants. So biologically, in that environment, they began to produce what was needed to become the protectors of their families and whatnot. And so so when you relate that to what's going on in the black community in America, there's an absence of men and there's an absence of, of, of so that needs to be a recalibration and a redistribution of, of resources in the black family. And I believe that that's a major part of what is happening with our young folks, because I can remember when I was 16 years old and my mom and dad split, I began to get involved in nefarious behavior. And it wasn't until I embraced Islam and my father returned back to the home that I actually began to calm down. And and but my life could have taken a turn for the worse. And I believe now at the age of 44, looking back on that, that the reason I was doing some of the things that I was doing is because I was angry because my father wasn't around and he had always been around. So, yes, conflict resolution, but we need to restore the family. We need to restore the home so that we can uh, we can gain order in our community. Same thing when you look at Chicago and you look at the gangs. One of the things there's a study out now that says that when they chopped the head of the leadership off of the gangs in the 90s, there was a war against the gangs gangs by law enforcement they're saying now because those leaders had control that now nobody wants gangs and we're not trying to promote gangs at all but they they are they are bearing witness that the leaders had control of the young folks and they would only do things by permission or allowance of those gang leaders and so now the remaining adult gang leaders or ogs they call them they don't have control because there's too many young uh, uh, men and women running rampant. And that's because the leadership, the same thing that happened to some of these countries that have been destabilized, you chop the leadership off and now you have a destabilized country. That's the same thing that has happened to the black community. All right, well, and Ar- Arnell, go ahead. I was going to say, because I, mean, I, I don't disagree with the things that you have said because there have been studies that show that. Um, I was involved in a program, you know, Dallas has one of the highest homicide rates in the yes. country. 
and I was working on a program where we were trying to get the neighborhood safe again, and the young black men in that community that were drug dealers, uh, we got them to, you know, we met with them, the city leadership met with them, and the community met with them to address the issue of drugs and violence. And some of the uh, these black gang members decided to take ownership of their neighborhoods and start doing something about it and getting the the drugs not to be sold in those neighborhoods. And I think those kind of of uh, that kind of empowerment needs to happen Absolutely. within the community. I mean, we're not going to change the fatherless percentages anytime soon, but the community has to be empowered. And I think your uh, organization, your your mission could help do that in a in a broader context beyond just conflict resolution. You know, there has to be a meeting, and you know, I've seen this happen successfully in Dallas, uh, in the southern sector. And I think that's something that you know wanted to find out: Are you working on programs like that uh, for you know for your own the communities here in Austin? I, I would say um, absolutely. The Nation of Islam, you know, I would say respectfully is the number one organization for reforming black men in in the communities in America, that we are known for that. We're known for taking those that are at the bottom rung of society and making them respectable citizens uh, of this great nation. And so that's something that we're known for, and that's something that we have done for over 80 years. And so just because sometimes we don't hear about the programs at the forefront that happen to be highlighted at a specific time period, we are still involved in that work of what we call the resurrecting, resurrection of the mental dead. All right, and thank you for your call, Arnell. Let me go to line two. You're on with Come and Talking. Michael, this is Jim. Hey, uh, hey Jim. We're quickly, and I'm going to make a broad brush statement, but the 1,400-year history of the Muslim belief has been one of conquering. It started in Mideast. It spread from Asia into North Africa. And even at one time, three-fourths of Spain was conquered by the Muslims. And it wasn't exactly a, an easy conquering. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with anybody about who's good and who's bad. But the Muslim uh, armies did not go in like a missionary and say, come and join us. Everything's good. If you don't, that's okay. They literally came in and killed tens, in some cases, uh, 50,000, like in India, when they went in. And it was uh, quite interesting. I mean, and then, of course, Constantinople became Istanbul, and then on and on and on. And it's been quite uh, a dramatic change. And I understand uh, the comments from the nation of Muslim, and if I use the term from, please excuse me, I don't mean to. You guys have every right to your belief, and I respect it in every way. But let's not say that the Muslim religion per se, is a religion of peace, if you look at the history, any more than the Christian religion is. We all have dirty laundry to air out. And so let's be honest and look where we're at. Realize we have separate beliefs, but we can work together. And that's kind of where I'm at. But again, be careful with the history because it's not very clean. 
All right, hold on there, Jim. We're going to take a break, and then I'm going to let uh, the Brother Muhammad respond to that. Uh, we're talking with uh, Mah- Brother Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. We're talking about, is guns a God-given right? Uh, we're also saying, hey, you know, maybe it's time for the uh, certain communities to stop putting these same people into office. Maybe the black community needs to stop voting for Democrats, the same Democrat putting that same Democrat in office and expecting change. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Join me weekdays for This Morning, America's First News. Hear the stories you'll be talking about and searching for all day as we go beyond the headlines and above the chatter. Weekdays at 5 on Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we got uh, about, I don't know, eight minutes left. So we're going to this is going to be a, a, a quick round here. All right. So, you know, the, the bottom of the line is I, I think people in the black community, needs to, we need to stop putting or they need to stop putting the same people back into office, uh, you know, year after year. They're expecting different results. They're expecting change. They're expecting, you know, well, police brutality to go down. But you're putting that same person, you know, four years ago or two years ago, that same person back into office and nothing has changed. And, and it happens all the time, you know, especially in East Austin. It happens all the time here in Austin. We have the same leadership election after election and nothing has changed. And, but they're expecting something great to happen. And what happens? Gentrification. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll say this, that we have no permanent friends and no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. And so um, whereas we used to vote in large and mass Republican, now we bro- vote in mass Democrat. Well, and, 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 I, and I will say it like this, that we need to, instead of being not concerned uh, about the vote, 90% of the time and economic 10% of the time, maybe if we focus our uh, focus on finances and cooperative uh, uh, pooling our resources and build an, a nest egg and we pooled our resources and we could do like the Asians when they come into different societies and we can erect not a Chinatown, but something that reflects our cultural norms and utilize that money to fund campaigns and put people in office that will represent our interests. But up to this point, you know, um, but we, but we can politics but, without but economics it, is simple without substance, but it can be done. You just have to find that drive to go and do it. It can be done if we unite, but see, we've, we've prayed in, we've set in, we've picketed. The one thing that we haven't tried in the black community is uniting and unity and uniformity are two different things. And I think we get those mixed up. But whose fault we, is that? We think that it's our fault. And I, and, and I think that, there's a misunderstood word here because uniformity is not the same as unity. Uniformity is doing the same thing at the same time, looking the same, sounding the same. But unity is you can be on the other side of the highway and you could be in a different uniform and you could be operating for the same goal and the same cause while you're looking different and while you're taking a different position. And so we must be uh, educated properly on what unity actually looks like. And once we unite, our dollars will automatically unite. I'm going to tell you this. The worst thing that I've seen as recent on social media is 
an, an aging merchant uh, 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 beauty supply store uh, reportedly choked a young lady because she was stealing some eyelashes. Now, um, I don't know. I see a lot of beauty supply places in the black community, but very few of them, if any, are owned by black people. And we're the main uh, uh, we're, we're the main customers that walk into these uh, places. And so, but if we Whose pool our resource, if we pooled our resources. And we leveraged our economic power and we put and erected our own institutions, our own stores, then we wouldn't have that type of problem. But I'm not going to beg you to respect me because I'm spending money with you. Why don't I uh, try spending money with my brother first before I spend money with another? And so be- that so that so really it, it should be directed into you know the other direction. It needs to be directed within rather than absolutely, outward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Most 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 other communities, their dollar uh, uh, rotates in the community two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen times before it goes out. But our money stays in our community a whopping six hours. That means that if I have direct deposit, the day that I get paid before I get off work, my money's already gone out of my community. No, you cannot. You cannot survive economically like that, even though we generate over a trillion dollars a year now. And see, I, I, and I actually do that, you know, because I my doctor is pro-gun. My dentist is pro-gun. See, I keep it within my community. <laughs> okay. I, 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 the person I buy my food from is pro-gun. I keep it in the community. Well, you know, I'm speaking about gotcha a broad there, community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That gotcha was a good there, one, there, brother. Uh, so, so, but, but the concept is the same, though. Right. You know, like minds, uh, we, we should practice with like minds. And, and that goes beyond, as you were saying earlier, that goes beyond ethnicity, uh, but we, 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 we have to do better. And so that's, that's, that's one people get us mixed up with conservative views sometimes because we talk about doing for self and practicing self-sufficiency. And so with also realizing that there's a safety net that has been snatched out from under the black community, that that has to be recognized as well. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, farewell to welfare, right, which got, means that you got to do for self. I got three minutes. Uh, Brother Muhammad, speaking of different communities, yes, sir. Does the Nation of Islam do they recognize that blacks and whites were created equally? No one was created equally. Like every every person. Well, every we are created. Uh, let me say this: that we're not created equal, but we are created equally, which means that every right that you have as a human being, everybody else should have. So when you read the back of our publication called the Final Call newspaper. We, it says in one of the points of what the Muslims want, we want freedom, justice, and equality, and we want that applied to all people regardless of class, creed, or color. But the creation of the people, does the Nation of Islam have an opinion on how the white man was created? Maybe not by God, but by... Absolutely. What is that opinion? We believe that white people came from black people in origin, that black people were the first people on the planet, and that by a system of practice of birth control and eugenics, that one of our wise scientists brought white people into existence out of the genetic makeup of black people. So white people were created... In a lab, basically. No, not in a lab. Well, in on society. A, on that's, an island. That's, that's, that's basic biology. You, when you look at Leakey and you look at Mendelssohn, the, the, the darker uh, complexion or the darker hue is the dominant and the lighter is recessive. And the only way you can get the recessive is that you have the darker or the dominant first and the recessive comes from it. So not a lab, no, by no stretch of the imagination. But 
You all came from us. We were the first people on the planet. But there's no superiority there. Absolutely not. Yeah. All right. So, uh, it's, a, it's a great conversation. We, got, we have a, a long way to go, and it, it's probably going to take another show to get there. Uh, but Or two. <laughs> or two shows to get there. Uh, but I definitely wanted to invite uh, Brother Muhammad in from the Nation of Islam to come in because uh, he's never been in the studio before and give us his take on uh, on just a bunch of different things. You have to bring a coat next time. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I, I do think that what we need to do is we need to get the leadership uh, to organize in the black community. And really, we, we need to make sure that that leadership, we stop pushing people to vote for the same people into office. And I will never ever stop saying it as always more guns equals less crime go out and buy yourself a gun you can listen me, to come and talk add, it can i add this with michael cargill If every talk radio program were the same, what would be the point? The Michael Berry Show is a little bit different. We're going to talk about politics, but we'll also talk about how great it is to live in Texas. Weekdays, 5 to 7 on Talk 1370. It's the Michael Berry Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.